Thanks to that piece of lieutenant that's always uh, on his podcast. Bash us. All right, everybody. Eric Tim, your most complete cop, NYPD. This is your 265 Police Live Series, brought to you by the Finest Unfiltered. And along me is the founder and the co-host of the podcast, John McCarry, retired lieutenant. What's up, my brother? Let's get right into it. Let's talk about the migrants assaulting a police officer and his lieutenant. Let's get right into it, brother. Let's do it. Sure. Everybody, just uh, check out my Dream Team shirt, courtesy of the Mighty Fuzz Young podcast. Give them a check. Give them, give them a check. Um, Because... uh. We're going to talk a little bit about the dream team, too. But uh, I'm going to play a video for you right now. And it's uh, two officers, a lieutenant and a police officer. Uh, they're on 42nd Street. They ask a group of what the news prefers to call them as migrants. I prefer to call them as illegal aliens as they cross the border illegally. Uh, they tell they tell the group of migrants to, to leave. Uh, one of the migrants had been arrested twice previously for a robbery. I believe they asked them to move because they believed they were up to no good, either pickpocketing Taurus or something like that. I don't know that to be a fact, but they asked them to move and the it turns into a gang assault. Basically, the group turns around and and makes these cops look stupid, beats them uh, consistently over and over again, hits them, kicks them in the head. And eventually they're released without bail. So we're going to play the video. Those of you that are on audio, please check out uh, either you could check the, this this clip out on on our YouTube or our Rumble, or you could go to our social media and you'll see it. All right. It's going to play. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a couple seconds of silence. Unreal. You, you know what? First of all, I, I hate watching these videos. And, and what's unfortunate, it's we have the opportunity. If we want right now, we could pick hundreds of videos that we could scroll through that are just videos of cops just being demoralized. It's 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 despicable. It's unfortunate. This there was a time when we were on the job and, and this would be these things did happen, of course. It's just the nature of police work. It's unfortunate, but they were far few in between. And now, again, I've said this many times. I'm going to say it again. This is a new phenomenon. And what I do predict, it's unfortunate, but I'm saying it now. I do believe that we, we are going to lose the life of an NYPD cop to the hands of another in a tussle just like this without the use of a firearm. And I hope, by God, I hope I'm wrong. But the laws of probability say different. So what are your thoughts on that? Because I, I just think that that's the direction we're headed for. We're he ultimately, we're headed for death. Again, this, this problem is systemic. I mean, this video is just one of thousands that we've seen over the last two years where cops are completely demoralized. 
They appear to be unwilling to physically engage, unwilling to throw strikes, unwilling to pull out their firearm. I mean, that's a very scary situation right there. I've been jumped a few times in my life, and it's not something that's fun. It's definitely not something that's fun. It's definitely something very scary. I don't care how well-trained or how much stronger you are than your opponents. Um, it's a very scary, traumatic situation. Um, but you got to be in the fight at that point. And, you know, unfortunately, again, I don't, I don't see that they're in the fight. That's the key word right there, John. The key word you just said is the fight. The politicians, the legislators, the weak NYPD management, they don't want to actually use that word. They'll use the word engage. They'll use the word de-escalation. But ultimately, that's the word right there. Fight. These cops, unfortunately, they were attacked. And it's despicable. It pains me to watch it. It hurts me to watch it because I don't want to see anyone get assaulted, especially NYPD, the boots on the ground. You and I are the biggest advocates for rank and file. But what I don't see here is they are not in the fight. They don't appear that they're fighting. They're trying to arrest an adversary who's giving them confrontation. They're in a physical tussle, and they're not fighting. They're, they're kind of just rolling around with kick gloves, and that guy is fighting. And then they're attacked by a group, but they are not in the fight. They're not deploying strikes. You don't see any posturing. There's no sense of violence. And I don't care who's offended by this, but the cops have to be in the fight. So John and I had spoke about this several times offline. And we both agreed. When John and I were on the job, especially when the job was good and we were getting support and, and there was a, a high sense and a presence of masculinity throughout the NYPD, there were cops, just like the two in this video, that didn't have the fight in them, cop and lieutenant. But because the majority of the police department, the overall majority, did have those masculine traits and the sense of authority was out there, these guys would skate by and they would not get exposed. But right now in the environment that we're in with cop cops being assaulted, part of this phenomenon, they are getting exposed. And the overall majority, unfortunately, is what we see depicted in this video, not the masculine traits, not the cops that we were. They're not in the fight. Yes, there's CCRB. These are all these layers that you have to worry about. But at that point, you're fighting for your life. Make no mistake about it. They could have taken their firearms. This could be a deadly situation. This could be much different. If you are on New York, New York City streets as we speak and you're in uniform, you have to be ready for the fight. You have to be out there training and you have to have that mindset. And you know what? Listen, I watch. if anybody watches the show Yellowstone, there's a line – in the, uh, I think it's the season finale of, of season three. And one of the Cowboys says this line. And you know what? It's such a good line. It's so true. It says, when people are born, you're either born a willow or you're born an oak. And cops, people that become cops, you have to ask yourselves that. Are you a willow or are you an oak? Because you have to be an oak if you're going to be out there. You have to be willing to fight. So I think a lot of it has to do with the mindset of what's going on out there. And I think that's what's systemic with the training. I think the mindset of cops now is they're more worried about the professional ramifications of actually using force, the legal ramifications of using force, than they are about their own lives, than they are about public safety. 
than they are about anything else. And that's what's systemic here. What's systemic is that the leadership sees this video and they don't say, well, you guys didn't throw one punch. There was not one punch thrown while you're getting kicked in the head. You don't stand up and square off in a boxing stance. Now, I understand there's multiple assailants. And I understand that full well, for those of you that know me know that I do. Um, I understand that full well how how that is. Um, but I also see a group of cowards. You know, I heard John Shell speak, and we'll, we'll bring him up. And he labeled them as cowards, and he was mad that, you know, basically they were released. And they are a group of cowards, because what you see is they only strike the officers from behind. They only strike the officers when they're down. Right. You, they don't strike the officer face to face. And one lead, that leads me to believe if they were standing there squared off with their hands actively throwing punches, they will move in like jackals and they will bounce around like jackals and they will try to hit you from the side and they will try to hit you from behind. But more often than none, you will be protected by your own stance. Um, I think it's a big, very big telltale that there wasn't a punch thrown. It wasn't one punch thrown that we've seen on camera. Um, and, and again, I'm not picking on this video. I'm not picking on these two cops. There are hundreds of these videos. I don't care what their career was. I don't care who they are. I don't care. You want to come fight me too? That's fine. Um, you know, see you when I see you. But I think that this is a systemic problem in the NYPD. It's not, it's not just the, these two guys. It's not just that. This is systemic. We've seen it time and time and time again. And that's what I think is systemic is the mindset. And it needs to be erased. I agree with you that the cops are being attacked. And CCRB and all this legislation is on their mind. And the mindset has been just completely destroyed. And not even destroyed. The mindset for, for battle, to have that warrior mindset, to be in the fight, is not built in the academy. And it's not something that's examined during candidate assessment, obviously, because it's my opinion. I've been saying this for years. I'm going to say it again, despite what anybody says. If there's anyone that worked in candidate assessment or has better insight, you have a good understanding. I'd love to bring you on the podcast. We could discuss this. But it's my opinion, based on my observations, based on my anecdotal experience, that the job is seeking out those that are meek, timid, and docile. And I, I ask if anybody is in opposition to that, please come on here and talk to me. But I would say that it's completely obvious from the videos that we see, even in this video, they appear to be meek, Tim, and docile. Yes, they, do they have CCRB legislation? This is the part I don't agree. With all those factors that you have to be worried about your professional optics on camera, still, at some point, they're in the fight, they're being attacked to the point that they can have their firearms taken, they get kicked in the face. I think at that point, that stuff goes out the window, and now is the fight of flight, and you have to have that fight in you. And I agree. We both talked about this. At some point, they had to abandon the mission of making this arrest and get up and get into a fighting stance and protect themselves. And these perpetrators, they appear to be malnourished. They don't appear to be uh, of any size, and they're complete cowards. Every time they threw a strike, they threw the strike when the cops weren't looking, and they took the opportunity when they could not get struck back. So they were just complete just predators. And I believe that the two cops, if they had to fight them, the proper training, if they got into a fighting stance, they would have taken off and ran away. They wouldn't, they weren't looking for any opposition or confrontation. They were looking for an easy prey. That's what they got. And it's unfortunate. But again, I hope I'm wrong. We're going to see the loss of life 
from a tussle just like this. I don't, I don't disagree with you at all. I mean, I've agreed with you from the moment you said it because it's that's exactly what we're seeing here. We're seeing cops that are unwilling to engage. You know, I, I, I use a, a quote for Eric Adams a lot, and I say it's politics over everything with him. And for the cops, I'm going to say it's pension over everything. You put pension over your own life, and you don't even value your own life enough to know that if you don't live, you'll never collect your pension. If you don't, if you can't walk around because you're paralyzed or something terribly bad happened to you, what is that pension worth at that point? It's nothing. What is the quad? Your life is more valuable than that pension, um, and and that's what we're saying here. You know, who cares about the the the, the camera and being embarrassed? You, you, this is life. We're all gonna look embarrassed at some point. We're all not gonna perform perfectly at some point. You know what I mean? But the overall riding big picture is exactly what Eric is saying. Is your life is in danger. A cop's life will be taken by the hands of another without a weapon due to this type of mentality. It's the mentality. Now, we don't even know the physical aspects of these kids. They can both be CrossFit guys. They can both be do jujitsu. They can both do karate. They might be able to both kick mine in your ass, right? We don't know that, but it doesn't matter. I tell you right now, take all the skills in the world that you have. If you don't have the mindset, all of it's a waste. You know, like I said, I think Dermot Shea is a genius, but he's a coward. So we'll never know what he really thinks because he'll ju he just has Bill de Blasio's hand up his butt and let him talk for him for, for four years. So we don't really know his true thing. So his genius was good for nothing. And it's the same thing here. You could be the most talented, skilled person in the world if you're not in the mindset. And that's what this leadership has created. And these guys do not feel supported. And I'm not talking about just these two. I'm talking about the overwhelming systemic of the NYPD. They understand now. Now it's a big rah, 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 rah. Why, why would they let out without bail? These people should be in jail. But there's so many other issues at play here. There's so many other issues at play. These people enter the country illegally. In years past, prior to the Bill de Blasio administration, these people would be held on an ICE retainer. They're here either illegally or they're non-citizens. So your, your, your whatever visa or whatever you might be on is getting revoked. In years past, there would be an ICE detainer put on you and Bill de Blasio removed that. Have we heard one word, one word from Eric Adams about these people should be deported? No. Now, Kathy Holchel is saying, oh, you know what? Maybe people that are sore cops should be deported. Oh, yeah, maybe, Kathy. Maybe. Just maybe, right? Just, but just assault cops? How about people that rape people? How about people that rob people? How about people that assault people? How about all people that just steal? How about people that just came here to steal? They're, 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 gangs, they're gangs that are set up, Venezuelan, Colombian, Mexican. They have no citizenship, and they're, they're, they cost, each one of them costs New York City taxpayer $10,000 a month, each, each, and they're here totally to prey on the public. Well, here's the problem. No time soon, we see, no time soon is any of this legislation from the politicians, these leftist anti-police advocates going to be stripped, going to be peeled back. How do we know? The How Many Stops Act, right? So with the How Many Stops Act, nothing's getting peeled back. We're getting additional layers added to the police department, making the law enforcement profession that much harder. So unfortunately, I think we need to, uh, we need to not start from the top, peeling these layers back. We now need to start from the bottom. And my, my main concern right now, and I know the same thing is with you, is to preserve life. Life of the public, but ultimately the life 
of the NYPD boots on the ground, right? Because their lives are completely at risk right now. I watched that video, and it, it, it's unfortunate, but I can almost play the music from the Benny Hill theme because that's what it looks like. It looks like two kids, they're on a ski slope, and I can almost play that music, and they're just kind of rolling around. There's no sense of fight in it. And it's unfortunate. Listen, I put out some videos out there, and I talk about training. I talk about training martial arts, self-defense, doing CrossFit, being in the gym. You have to have your mind prepared, and you have to have your body prepared. So I say right now, we need to start from the bottom. And the bottom is the cops that are on the ground. They need to have themselves prepared for battle. If you choose to wear this uniform and do this job, you're getting zero support out there. So you have a duty to respect yourself and to respect yourself so that you come home for your family, for the people that care about you. And I, listen, I, I put out videos there talking about training, getting yourself prepared. And most people are pretty supportive of it. But there was plenty of, pe plenty of people that were, you know, they were making fun of it, saying, uh, you know, you want to show these macho videos. But that's not what it's about. I'm giving my advice. How do you expect to fare well in a fight if you don't work out in the gym, if you don't do any self-defense, if you don't do any martial arts? If you've never been in the kitchen, if you've never cooked a meal, do you expect to have a good meal? You have to train. There's no other way to get around it. You can't. Unfortunately, most men have this false sense of security of what of how they would fare in a fight. And the reality is they would not perform well because if you're not training, you can think you're going to get red and you're going to get mad. You know, that that's not what works. Bob Rutten, a famous UFC MMA fighter. He always talks about how the movie that came out was called Here Comes the Boom, right? And he said that came out because there was a guy talking about, oh, you know, I don't have to train, but when I fight, I see red. These are nice things to think, but the reality is you have to train. You're an NYPD police officer. You have to train now. There's no excuse. If you're not going to, if you're not going to be in the gym, you're not going to be in tip-top shape, you're not going to do self-defense or martial arts, you better get yourself a new job right now because you have no support out there. And if you're not going to do these things, you're going to die. And that's the reality. I'm sorry to say it, but it's the truth. Live or die. You know, I do blame, I do blame, again, I'm going to put it really all on the leadership because you're putting people out there unprepared. You're saying that you're heavily trained. You're saying you're the highly trained, the, the, the most trained police department in the world. You're saying all of these things constantly. You know, we had the uh, state of the NYPD yesterday, right? So we watched that. That was, I mean, I, too much to say about that. And we will talk about that in a minute, but you know, the, day, the whole beginning is about the training and the, and the honor and the integrity and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, we have the diaphragm law in New York City where you cannot put pressure on an individual's chest, either intentionally or unintentionally. I can never grab you around the throat, whether it's whether I put pressure or I don't. I, cannot, I can't even put you where it appears. It could be a headlock. I just have my... My, my arm around you like that. It's not actually a chokehold, but it's deemed a chokehold. I can't do that or else it's a misdemeanor to me. And the NYPD has never, to date, this happened after the Eric Gardner incident. They put out a video and the training was, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. Never said what you could do. Never said what you could do. You can't sit on the guy's back. You can't do this. You can't roll him over. You can't sit on his chest. You can't do that. You can't do this. But it never said what you could do. And I think that's the bigger problem of it all is nobody knows what they can do. What is it 
let's break it down. All right. Due to this law, now the only thing we could do in this situation is throw strikes, is throw kicks, is throw knees, is punch in the face, is use my mace, is use the taser. What is it? Label those things out and develop training. 20, what, what, what year was the Garner incident? 2014, 2015? It's 2024. It's almost a decade later, and there hasn't been one training that has been put out for these guys and girls to understand what they can do. And I think when you look at all of these videos, what you see is hesitancy, and you see clearly they do not know what to do. And how could I and how could I hold an individual accountable when you're part of the largest police force in the world? And they don't tell you what to do. There's no training what you can do, but you have discretion now. Don't worry. We'll either hang you or we'll support you, depending on the political narrative that's friendly that week. Well, that's absolutely true. There's absolutely no training. And what's unfortunate, in the police academy, there are some highly skilled and highly ta talented cops that are assigned to the academy that have training. They have some world-class world class training. They've been in boxing matches. Uh, there's jiu-jitsu fighters there. You have some some real high performance athletes that are assigned there but what's unfortunate is they don't have the ability they don't have the they don't have the permission to pass on and, and teach the police officers out there it's unfortunate and i agree with you when i was a special operations lieutenant the most important thing to me to instill in my cops was mindset and i used to always say confidence brings confidence so right now the police officers are are in an extremely vulnerable position where they're being attacked physically. But you have to be confident in your ability to protect yourself so that you're confident and carry out that mission. And I do believe that if the police officers are trained properly from the police academy with a good mindset and actual training of how to conduct themselves and actually how to fight, that will actually alleviate these fights and there would be less attacks. But because these police officers look completely vulnerable, they look out of shape, they look very gingerly, they don't have those masculine traits, they don't have that presence, that they are now extremely vulnerable. And, and, and that's what these people are looking for. They're predators. They're looking for easy prey. And they saw these two happen to easy, be easy prey. I'm not making fun of them, but it's the reality. It's the truth. And we need to talk about what's actually happened, happening to prevent it from happening again. These police officers are not ready. Anybody watching this, you have to be honest with yourself, right? It's unfortunate, but most of us have big egos. You have to remove your ego and ask yourself, if you're in that situation, are you actually prepared? You may want to believe it and say, oh, here's what I would do. I would do this. I would do that. I've heard all that thing. John, you've heard it all. We've heard, all heard that locker room talk. But be honest with yourself. Are you actually out there training? Do you know how you would handle yourself? And yes, John's right. They're not getting the training in the police academy, but we have to completely bypass that right now. We know that you're not getting that training, but if you still, despite the fact you're not getting the training, you're not getting the mindset training, you're out there in the streets, you have to go out there and get the training on your own. You can't say, well, the police department is not providing. That's true. But if you choose this job, you have to choose your life. So you have to go out there and you, do, you need to do some self-discipline, some self-initiative to go out there and get the training. And, you, and if you're going to rely on the police department, then you need to get another job. Then this is not the job for you because they're not seeking out your best interest. And your best interest should be your own life. You, you, you want this pension, but you have to go home to actually utilize this pension. God forbid you die in one of these tussles. These migrants, 
Worst case, they'll be deported. But you'll be in a box. And that's going to be the end of the story. And they'll move on and they're going to forget about you like everything else. Life will move on. You'll be forgotten and your family will still be thinking about you. Ten years from now, one of your family members will call the police department and say, hey, uh, I got a parking summons. My son, he got killed. He got killed uh, working for the police department ten years ago. Who? Who's this? I'm gonna hang up on you? Just think about that. It's again. I I'm gonna say I agree with you. You know, that should be. You should take extreme ownership, right? Read the Jocko Willink book, Extreme Ownership, right? In every situation in life, especially in police work, you should put the onus on yourself. But again, what do I see when I see these guys and girls out there? I see guys that are going out to play this deadly game that are that don't want to do the job. I don't want to take a call. I don't want to make an arrest. You already set yourself up for failure. You're walking out on the street that day as a New York City police officer saying, I'm not going to arrest anybody. I don't want to get involved in anything. How does that work? How does it work? I, I don't know. I could never put myself in that mindset. I was like, wow, if I ever say I can't take an arrest. What does that mean? That I'm going to let anything that happens that day happen to me or happen to someone in the public? How? What does that look like? That you're already starting off on a failed mindset. And I think that's the bigger thing. And that thing's always been systemic. And that, I've seen that time and time again. But we did lose our authoritative presence, like Eric said. And that's the bigger problem, right? They used to be, oh, NYPD were the biggest gang in New York City. People feared the NYPD, feared you going over that radio and calling for an 85. Things would, like I said, you call another car, maybe just one car, you show up and a calm would come over the craziest scene. And now we see the more cops that come, it gets crazier. There's zero respect, zero, zero respect. And a bigger thing is zero fear. And, and again, I'll agree with John Shell again, what he said, there's no consequences. Why should they be fear? Why would I be afraid of getting arrested if I'm getting out in four hours and absolutely nothing's happening to me down the road? What fear do I have of the system? No, I have none. I have no fear of the system. And we were just creating more hostile, crazier environments. I mean, these, these, this gang learned. What'd they learn? They learned that nothing's happening to us. We could do whatever we want. We could do whatever we want. We beat these people up. We leave. So what? Oh, what? The NYPD had a show of force and ran around. And, oh, look, they're searching for these migrants. Absolute joke. Absolute joke. Where are you? Where are you when... Uh, when when that when the terrorist organizations are taking over New York City, where are you? I don't know why that stupid thing keeps coming up on the the screen. Where it, the thumb up? You, you saw that? Yes. I, I I told you about that last time. That thumbs up. It keeps coming. It works for me. I, I, yeah. Some reason I don't get the thumbs up on my side. But but where are they? You know when when New York City streets are getting taken over. That's when we should be doing the show of force, not to go not to go arrest five guys that we know who they are and and go and go get them. Like it's. Well, the problem is everyone's watching. The whole world's watching right now. But especially in New York City, the thugs, the perpetrators, they're watching right now. And they're like, wow, look look at these, these five skinny, malnourished perpetrators, illegal aliens, just mollywhopped two cops. And there was zero, zero, zero consequences. Now, if we get some real violent perpetrators, some real thugs who have some real evilness in their heart, this could be a whole different outcome. 
And it's unfortunate. We are headed there. But what is it going to take for these cops to wake up and say, listen, again, I say, if you choose, don't get me wrong. Right now, we're telling you this is not the time to do this job. But if, since you are there already, if you choose to wear this uniform to patrol New York City streets, this is what you're facing right now. You're facing adversaries that know they have no consequences. The only one that has consequences is you. You. I'm talking to you. You, the cop that's out in the street, you're the only one that bears the consequence. You bear the consequence with your financial freedom. You bear the consequence with your record on your 58 from CCRB. You bear the consequence from the backlash from your own police department. You bear the consequence ultimately with your own life. But what is it going to take for you to say we're going to take a stand? One thing I'll say that is different about what I see right now from the cops in these videos compared to when John and I were on the job. As a whole, the overwhelming majority, we had much more camaraderie. There were, I would say overall, there were tough Tough, just tough New York City kids. That's what we were. Ordinary men. We didn't have a, a amazing training. It wasn't that we were UFC fighters, but we all had that grit of being New York City kids. Most of us had fizzled tussles. We were fighters kids. It was a byproduct. We had that mindset. We were prepared for fighting, but we had camaraderie, and we all depended on each other. If I saw John getting attacked, but I know that I got John's back. If John saw me get attacked, he has my back. So we relied on each other. That camaraderie is so important. We've also lost that camaraderie because they stripped away at the police department. And I do think there's a correlation with camaraderie and masculinity and also morale. These things come together and they build a group of men. And we're not seeing it, seeing it out there right now. And again, I say, if you choose to wear this uniform, you have to be ready. Despite the fact that you don't have any layers of protection, despite the fact you have CCRB after you, legislation, optics, but ultimately, you should want to go home. You should not want to be rolling around, laying on the ground, getting kicked in the head to make $100,000 a year or even $200,000 a year. It's not worth it. But you need to stand up for yourself and protect yourself so you go home to your family. Forget about that perpetrator. He's not going to see, he's not going to see a jail cell anyway. So get up and stand up for yourself. Those punches and those kicks could have easily been knife pokes. Easily. Easily. And I'm, I'm honestly shocked they weren't, to be honest with you, because I would I would expect them, when I see that group, I would expect a knife and, and some pokes, because I'll tell you that group has not, that's not the first person they beat up as a, as a group. They, they've done this before. They attacked like jackals, like I said, from behind, complete cowards. And that's what you see. What do you see with cowards? They use weapons. They pull out knives. They stab you in the back. They stab you in the side. And that's what, exactly what they are, a gang of cowards. Uh, John Shell was right about that. But here's where I knock the leadership again, right? Not only do we not talk about the ICE detainers, they talk about how this person was released without bail, and they blame the law. Who don't they blame? They don't blame the district attorney for charging the proper charges that would keep them from being being even released without bail, right? They what what will they do? What will they do on the news this week or this week coming or the following week? Here's our partners in the district attorney's office. Here's our partners in New York City Council. Here's our this in that, and it's always kissing the ass of all the politicians, the the district attorneys, the mayor. City Council, it's constant ass smooching. 
And it's never the truth. It's always a detraction from what's going on. This progressive spin on New York City is destroying not only the New York City Police Department, but New York City as a whole. And that's the thing that we're losing sight of, you know. You know, we're talking right now about the danger to police officers. What about the public that they're there to serve? It's the, the how dangerous is it for the public when the cops can't even keep themselves safe? I mean, and that's the overall mission. That's the mission of the New York City Police Department is to provide public safety to New York City. And they can't because they're too worried about protecting themselves at this point. Because now it's, it's just it, it's imploding. The NYPD is imploding and they have the goal and the audacity to refer to themselves as the dream team. And they haven't even won a game. They're, 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 they're giving themselves championships, trophies, and they haven't even won a game. Nothing. Not one game. Nothing. I, I like that metaphor. It's it's actually on point. It's hysterical. It, it's so true. But let's talk about that, right? So we have police commission, Edward Caban, which uh, has been pretty much insignificant probably the most insignificant police commissioner that we are aware of in our time, but looking back at history. But he's given a speech where he's pretty much gloating about his tenure, about his team being the dream team. And uh, what's funny about it is memes that you and I have put out. We can't take credit for actually doing the meme, but the memes that were put out by our podcast are pictures of Kaz Daughtry and other uh, higher echelon as the so-called dream team as a mockery, but now they're using it to actually solidify and indicate to the public that this is the dream team. This is the best version of the NYPD. If this is the best version of the NYPD, we are headed for some dark times. So with that, don't get me wrong. I think that they're specifically talking right to us. I think it's subliminal messages. I think they're having a back and forth. We're having this kind of back and forth conversation between the, the podcast and the weak upper management of the NYPD, this back and forth through subliminal messages. That's why John reached out to, uh, spoke to, uh, invited, I'm sorry, let me reword that. John invited John Shell to come on this podcast because we know that John Shell and Cass Daughtry and Jeffrey Madry and LePetri and Michael Kemper watch this podcast. So does Ed Caban. They watch the podcast, they watch everything they do, they mimic and mirror some of the memes that we have, the social media interactions, and they're having this back and forth conversations, very childish. Why don't they just come on the podcast? You're invited. It's going to be professional. Just come on the podcast, right? John, that's it. I, I per, Again, I personally think that we're the biggest supporters of the NYPD. I think that we support the NYPD more than the men that you just named because we're willing to talk about the things that you cannot talk about, and we understand that. And we're not in direct opposition. Yeah, there's satirical stuff. We make fun. That's locker room stuff. That stuff's always gone on through the history of the police department. We're just doing it online. Um, and that just shows how thin-skinned you guys are. It shows how non-transparent and thin-skinned you are. You, you guys are more than welcome to come on this podcast. And honestly, if you were correct, because you guys really are horrible at your social media and, and, your, and your PR skills, they're absolutely terrible. You would be consulting us on what you what and what the messages should do so that you could bring New York City, not only the citizens, but bring the morale of the New York City Police Department up. 
but you don't. Instead, you want to just keep continuing to come at us, which is it, it's crazy. So as as Eric said, uh, I'm gonna first play a video. Kaz Daughtry's had an award ceremony. Uh, you guys heard it before. I think this is the third time we've played it on this podcast. Um, and he refers to them as the dream team. And when he does that, all of these memes about the dream team come out. And now, obviously, active police officers don't want to share those memes. So they gave them to Eric. The same day we got that video, we got we got memes about them as the dream team on a Sports Illustrated cover. We shared that on December 3rd. Um, and then fast forward, I'll play the video of Ed Caban actually sharing it during his presentation at the state of the NYPD in 2024. So uh, I'll play the, the clip for uh, Kaz Daughtry. This is the first time I've heard of them as the dream team. Ed Caban later says that some refer to them as the dream team, but I say only they refer to themselves as the dream team and they have the goal and the audacity to, because honestly, that's embarrassing. Cut that out right away because nobody thinks you're the dream team. Absolutely nobody. Maybe Dave Rockenberry, he's telling you the dream team because he's got making you coffee and stuff and he's spinning it for you. Other than that guy, other than all the soft white guys you placed around you, you know, all my haters become my waiters. That's who Eric Adams talking about because you're serving him hand and foot. Yes, boss. I know I called you a racist and I know you said you were a horrible cop. But now that you made me a chief, here you go. You're the best. And did I tell you how good looking you are? Um, you know, like Dave you know, if, you, if Eric, if you become the police commissioner tomorrow, he's going to be bringing you coffee. Hey, boss. Hey, boss. Uh, awesome. Also, Detective Dave Rosenberg is going to love me and say, oh, you're the best thing ever. And, and that's the funny part. I'll, I'll say it right to you, New York City Mayor Eric Adams. All these people that love you, and you know it, they were bashing you up and down. And as soon as you became mayor, now you're the best thing since sliced bread. But you know what? You got the last laugh. You got the last laugh. Sitting back, you got your feet up. Like, look at these people. They hated me. But when they need me, and I, now they love me. You know what? You got the last laugh. They love your suits. They love everything that you say. They always say they love your plan. Even John Shell gave a speech the other day. Oh, everything the mayor's doing is great. I'm pretty confident that John Shell was bashing him before he got you know, elected as mayor. We all know it. Oh, and John Shell, you know it too. <laughs> 100% camper. All these guys are Trump guys. You're not going to be a Trump guy and support Eric Adams. You're just not. You're not. You're just not. It's a it's a lie. You're not you're not going around with this progressive twinge. And that's what he means. All my haters become my waiters. He's literally like I, I always make fun and I say he's talking about me and Sal, but he's really not. He's talking about all the soft white men in the NYPD that all couldn't stand him, thought he was a terrible cop, tried to fire him, hated him the whole time they were in the police department. And then he becomes the mayor and they're serving him hand and foot and doing and saying whatever he tells them. You guys are his waiters. That's who he's talking hey, about. Hey, John, was it was it you who said it? I remember I heard something that kind of refers to John Shell, like he's. He's walking the streets and Trump in the sheets. Was it was it you who said that? No, I would always say I would say, you know, I said like they're two different people. At home, they're one person and 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 they're uh and they're somebody else and and they're, they're somebody else at work. They're totally so I would always say that they're, they're conservative at the dinner table, but they're woke, they're woke at work, right? They're progressives at work. But Alamo actually coined the phrase uh 
MAGA in the sheets, woke in the sheets. Oh, that's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's all woke. the same stuff, right? Like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. MAGA in the sheets, woke in the streets. And that's exactly what they are. I mean, and they're waiters, really. They're highly paid waiters. Um, they're highly paid waiters. And when Eric Adams had sat down at his table of success, all the waiters put their uniform on willingly and begged for it. They begged for that. They begged for it. And and they got, you know, um, very funny. So let's play the let's play the Kaz Daughtry clip where we first hear the dream team. There's a handful of retired officers that don't live in the state. There's a handful of retired officers that don't live in the state. There's a handful of retired officers. Oh, it's not working. That's weird. By the way, when he says there's a handful of retired officers, he's talking to us. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Hold on. I'm going to try to. Can they just say our names already. Don't worry about it. Yeah. It's uh, what the hell's going on with this? And speaking of teams, it doesn't get any better than the current NYPD leadership team. Stacked with talent, some have called them the dream team. I'm just grateful that they are all very much my team. So, first of all, what I, I, I can't, I watched that 400 times. So every time I watch, I laugh. First of all, the first time I saw it, I, I had a cool job. Like, wait a minute. Is this a Saturday Night Live skit? This can't be real. And sure enough, that is actually a legit, real presentation. I mean, if you play that over to someone and never tell them it's legit, they would think that's a Saturday Night Live skit. Uh, I think it's so comical, but again, they are talking right to us. Hello, yes, we're here. We know you're talking right to us. It is what it is. Yeah. So Kaz Daughtry calls us the, the calls themselves the dream team. Says me and Eric contributed nothing in our careers while we were in the NYPD, which is laughable because we'll gladly put a uniform back on. Kaz deputize us, and we could all go walk around the streets, all three of us. And uh, let's see, we'll all take Times Square. And let's see. And let's see what you know and what we know. So we could do that any day of the week. You let us know. But so he refers to himself as the dream team. Now, for whatever reason, that video wouldn't play. But uh, so the video we saw is Ed Caban at the NYPD state, the state of the NYPD 2024. And the first meme that comes up is the meme that the podcast shared on December 3rd, 2023. And he's talking about the dream team because immediately after that, we started making fun of him. Oh, you're the dream team? You're the dream team, you know. I I don't see that they're the dream team, you know. And and I've said it, I said it, and I'll say it again. Even nightmares are dreams. So I just want to let you know because I think that you like this is more of a nightmare than a good dream. It's not a good dream. It might be a dream, but it's a it's a nightmare for the the majority of us. Oh, it actually is a dream team because they it's a dream that they actually put this team together. I mean, you got Kaz Daughtry. He's got zero experience in, in any leadership role. You got John Shell in that in that picture, who's supposedly shot someone an accidental discharge in, in a in a vehicle uh, vehicle incident. Which, when I was in the Marine Corps, we were told accidental discharges are stupidity. Tiny Kinsella, another one that jumped the ranks. 
Tariq Shepard, another one that jumped the ranks. Jeffrey Madry, that guy's got more discipline than anybody else. He's got nine lives. He's a cat. This, this team is a dream. It's a dream that they actually put this team together, and they're the ones leading the NYPD with zero experience and zero integrity and zero responsibility and accountability. That's what I see. I see weak, appointed management. I see a team that should not even be a team, honestly, and I don't really care if they're offended by it at all. It's the truth. What are they going to do? Come at this podcast? They've already done it. Keep coming. We're still standing here. Watch out. The police commissioner might send his uh, his criminal association friend, uh, Jimmy, after you. But, uh, no, I, I mean, they're, they're completely thin-skinned, you know. So I uh, so I shared that 25-second clip, and I did it at 3.38 p.m. yesterday via the podcast Twitter. So I put that out, and then I believe we – Put it out on the Instagram as well. I don't remember. But around that same time, 3.38. At 4.38, and an hour later, Kaz Daughtry on his, on his Instagram and Twitter put out the same exact 25-second clip. But he put his spin on it. We're the dream team. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's it's honestly embarrassing. It's 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 embarrassing to have even state. Like, I, I was honestly contemplating erasing retired NYPD lieutenant off of my bio completely i was actually even thinking about like erasing it totally out of my history of anything because it's completely embarrassing the the state of new york city the fact that there's videos rolling around where these cops are getting beat up the fact that this mayor that you're working for clearly doesn't control new york city the ad the mayor that who is actually controls new york city last name is adams but it's New York City speaker, Adrian Adams. She's the one that actually controls New York City. And we saw that with this how many stops bill, you know, and that's another thing that you tried to do what Eric and myself were doing. And you actually have a bigger platform to do it, but you missed a mark on almost everything you did. I applauded you for, for trying, but it wasn't, it wasn't good enough and your messaging wasn't strong enough. And not only... Did you not pick up any votes during your avocation? Because Eric Adams never even picked up the phone to call any of the council people, right? Because that's what they all said. He never even picked up the phone. The mayor in New York City never. They actually lost votes. They lost votes. And more people voted in favor of the How Many Stops Act than prior to this. So I think they missed a mark. I think their PR skills are awful. I think they are the most thin-skinned least transparent administration ever honestly and that's saying a lot because i i really think that the history of the nypd is very not transparent and you know when you get when you get up into the upper ranks these people become very very thin-skinned but i think this one's the worst well what does that tell you i mean we see time and time again when 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 eric adams is, is challenged at meetings i mean particularly we saw him challenged by an elderly white woman of Jewish uh, Jewish ancestry. He was challenged, and he got very vocal, very upset. He was challenged by someone on the street. Remember by the bull? He had taken his jacket off, and he got very confrontational. So he's not shy. He's very vocal when he wants to be. So the reason why I bring this up is because in this particular incident, he, he, he vetoed the How Many Stops Act, but again, you said it. He didn't get in contact with his council members. He wasn't out there barking the way he barks when when he's challenged 
about his personal ego. He wasn't out there barking. So what does that say? To me, that says that he never really wanted to veto this how many stops act. Anyway, I just think it was political theater. He knew that it's a great show. If he vetoes the How Many Stops Act, two-thirds two -thirds of the city council is going to overturn it anyway. Again, I, I've said this. He gets to placate to the moderates and also placate to the left. It's a win-win for him. But ultimately, I don't think he ever had any intentions or even had any desires to want this How Many Stops Act to not get passed through. Oh, absolutely. And if you see, like, they go out with – he goes out with city council and the NYPD goes out with city council – why the entire upper echelon of the NYPD needed to be there, I have no idea. Uh, why he needed to be there, I have no idea. But who did you see go from city council? You saw all the common sense caucus, the conservatives. They all went out on the ride-alongs. I mean, they're all sitting there in the, in the mayor's lap. Oh, the mayor's trying. He's doing this. He's doing that. It's all nonsense. It really is. Like, he's not trying to do anything. And I agree with you a thousand percent. If anything, he divided the council further. And they put him on ice. And I think I think this shows exactly what the politics in New York City is. The progressives or the communists are in control. They're anti-police regime. You're not going to become you're not going to see moderates. And they, this is what they think about Eric Adams. I mean, if you if anyone has I personally think he, he's getting indicted and that's telling Eric Adams bye, bye. You know, it's uh, you're on ice. You're done. The real leader of the city right now is Adrian Adams. And in, in a couple of weeks, it's probably be Jamani Williams. I think what's what's also scary about this bill, I mean, we've been so focused on the how many stops acts when it comes to policing and what it's going to do to the police department. And ultimately, if this was done properly, bring police into a hole. But as I suspected and as I expect, the police officers are going to cut corners and they're not going to do this properly because their hearts are in the right place to do public safety. So John Shell had put out a, John Shell had gotten interviewed where he spoke about this and he said there are I've actually clipped out a portion because it's exactly what I have foreshadowed where John John Shell says that there are nuances they're going to figure out and they'll find that sweet spot with this act so that they could still keep public safety and also transparency. So ultimately, let me translate what that means. What that means is we're going to cut corners and not completely document this so we can actually continue public safety. Cops' careers will get sacrificed by the CCRB, and those casualties, they'll be forgotten about, and the band will continue to play on. That's what's happening. But what's even more scary, uh, before you play this uh, the video, I just want to say what's even more scary about this bill is that this whole thing that's going on with the police department, there's been so much attention on it, and I think it's done on purpose because it's sexy. Everybody loves talking about the police department. It's a complete diversion of what's really going on, the underlying part of this bill that addresses inmates in Rikers. That's the part of the bill that's actually even worse than what's going on with the police department, where there's going to be no control for the correctional officers over inmates. I honestly, anyone that's out there right now as a New York City correctional officer, especially at Rikers Island, my hat is off to you. You are an extremely vulnerable, vulnerable position. And what has happened with this bill has made your job even harder. The restrictions that you have on inmates to isolate them, to, to maintain order and good behavior, uh, what they did with this bill, it really strips away from it. Do you, do you want to talk about that at all before we go to this video? Let's go on the clip and then we'll go on that. And just, just to correct you a little bit, it, it is a separate bill. And it's, it's, uh, it's a separate bill. And the bill is titled um, Solitary Confinement in, in, in uh, Rikers. 
However, solitary confinement was stripped in 2016. Um, and this just goes further into that. So they're kind of like just piggyback on, on, on solitary confinement that you cannot put inmates in solitary confinement. Let's go into John Shell's statement and then we'll talk about that. Cause I, I do, you know, I like, you know, I don't believe that the How Many Stops Act is is that big of a deal. I believe that they could. I believe that the leadership of the NYPD could come up with a plan to very eliminate the amount of time it takes for police officers to even do this and still meet all the reporting requirements of that of that bill. I just don't I don't think they have the capabilities of it. I don't think the mayor does. I don't think they have an understanding of reporting requirements or reading the bill and actually properly documenting and implementing this. There's so many forms that we already do where they could just add a checkbox onto, um, which li would literally take away almost uh, almost the, the entire thing. Um, just by adding one checkbox. I just don't think that they have the the wherewithal to be able to do that. But uh, let's play John Shell and then let's uh, let's get your thoughts on that. I mean, you already kind of gave it, but I, we'll just go again. I, I want to do his words and then your words. No, look, look we, we've always supported aspects of this, but the spirit of this bill, mm -hmm. the mayor has long stood for um, public safety and transparency. But the level one, we don't agree with because mm -hmm. the level one, it's not a stop. It's an inquiry as to what's going on. It has nothing to do with suspicion or accusatory. So for us now, let's put it in perspective. Last year we handled 8.5 million calls for service. Mm -hmm. Assuming that's one person, that's 8.5 million reports we have to do on our phone, on an wow. app. That takes time. And now to go out, a missing person, uh, jobs like that, that take to talk to people is going to hinder our relationship with the public because cops are not sure should I talk, should I not talk. And the other night we went out with the city council. I'm sure you saw it on Saturday night. We went out, yeah. we took them throughout the city, and they were very inquisitive. They asked a lot of questions. So now it's a bill. It doesn't go into effect until July. Mm -hmm. So maybe we can sit down and find some nuances, what we can do, what we can't do. And like I said this morning, find that sweet spot that works for transparency and safety for all. Right. Yeah, I mean... Okay, so the end of the video, his statement right there is just a complete telltale of what the intentions of the police department are. I agree with you. They do not have the capability to have some type of app where it's a quick checkbox. And I, 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 do, I do agree with you. If they explore that opportunity and actually could do that, that would alleviate. But I think what, what the problem I have with the How Many Stops Act is the annotation over the mindset of a police officer. You already have all this criticism and this critique and this oversight. This is just another additional layer to just make your job harder because you have all these things to worry about with the How Many Stops Act. It's hard enough just to be able to identify different levels because what he's saying here, what he's saying here is he's on the right path, but he's not 100% correct, right? Because a level one encounter is a request for information. And what you need for a level one encounter is an objectable reason to approach. So that's where I have a problem where the city council could attack the cops when it comes to this because they could say, well, you know what? Did you really have an objectable reason to ask someone why you're lost or what are you looking for? So there is that nuance he likes to use that was forgotten in that. But what he says at the end of this is exactly that. The cops will cut quarters because he said we will find nuances. He didn't say we'll find the system to actually properly document this. He said, we'll find nuances in it and find that sweet spot. 
So what does that mean? We're going to find ways to cut corners. And what he and what he's admitting is that this bill does hinder the job. But we'll find that sweet spot in there so we can actually do the job. What he means is we're going to cut corners. Who pays for cutting corners? The cops. John Shell doesn't pay for it. The cops do. No, I, I totally agree. I, I agree with his first part of the whole the whole thing. Like that shouldn't be, you know, I, I don't see a big deal about transparency. I don't see a big deal about reporting. I don't believe that New York City Council has the capability of even putting these numbers together and understanding what they mean or formulate a coherent thought based upon the data that they receive. But it's a reporting re bill. It's a reporting requirement. Uh, more transparency. I have no issue with it. I don't see why the police department does, even though we know that this is the least transparent administration ever. And if you could just ask any media publication and they're going to tell you the same thing. It's not just this podcast that's saying that. Um, so I agree with his uh, whole initial statement. And like I said, I even agree with the approach of we're going to find the easiest way that doesn't affect our police officers. But I do agree with you, Eric. It's not going to be a way that's favorable to the police officers. It's going to expose them. It's not going to be a way to protect the police officers and fulfill this requirement. It's going to be just do it and shut up. You know, what was the what was the famous line that uh, Chief Monahan said? We can't be afraid. We can't be afraid to do our jobs. You know, when uh, when 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 uh, when people were pushing back at, at this insane legislation of the diaphragm bill. We cannot be afraid. And that's basically what it is. It's like you're going to go out there and do it. And we don't care that it's not right. We don't care. We're telling you something that we're ultimately going to hang you for. We don't care. Well, you know what? I, I like to talk about, let's rhetorically speaking, let's say we, uh, we had a fictitious car stop. What it's like to be an NYPD police officer today, right? And we know, we know what it's like because we had a, a city council, city council member pulled over and just how prolific this car stop has become in the eye of the media, especially when the, these particular two cops were extremely professional. They were so sharp. Everything was done. Everything was done amazing. And yet they're still facing criticism. But let's just say, for instance, you're a police officer. John, fictitiously, rhetorically speaking, you and I are working together under the rules right now. We pull over a car. We have probable cause to conduct this car stop. The driver proceeded through a red light. As we approach the car, the car is tinted with windows. Keep in mind, this is not a real scenario. This is a rhetorically speaking. We approach the car. <clears throat> Excuse me. As the windows come down, we notice that there's occupants in the back. The occupants in the back, they're moving around a lot. There's a driver. The driver's completely nervous. So we request the information. Okay? We request the information from the liar. Uh, uh, sorry, not from the, well, the liar, yeah. The New York City Councilman, who's the driver? He's the liar, but it, this is a bit in my head. So we request the information from the driver. We have his license, his registration insurance. We issue a citation for the red light, right? So that's, that's document. We then do what's called the vehicle stop. Then as we're conducting this car stop, the occupants in the back, they're moving around a lot. We say, hey, what are you guys doing? Level one, quite objectable reason to request information. Now we have to, according to the How Many Stops Act, document that interaction. They get out of the car. We notice a gun. We take them down. There's a tussle. 
we have to do what's called a threat resistance injury report. Then these perpetrators are arrested. They have to go to the hospital. We have to do arrest forms, medical treatment prisoner forms, potentially a stop question first report on people that were. So the point to this is just endless. Is documentation, documentation is redundant of one after another. Do we really need another piece of paper to, for transparency? I think these the documentation when it comes to a vehicle stop, an arrest, or an encounter is already suffice. Yeah, online booking sheet, complaint report, vouchers. Again, I don't I don't see how they even need another form for this, how they even need another app for it. I don't even see why there's a vehicle stop report. Like there should be a universal form that cops are filling out that that covers all of this stuff at this point, a UF-250, whatever you want to do, which is a stop question and frisk. It should be universal. It should be a, a universal thing. You're going in, you're filling out this one report, boop, 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 and everything is going in. It's, it's you know, it's it's insane the amount of different things and the amount of redundancy in the New York City Police Department, how you're literally just documenting the same thing over and over. I I, I mean, I, I just reflect back on all the arrests I had and how many times I wrote the same statement and how many times I put the person's same name and things and how many times. And it's just so redundant. And here we go again. It's just another form. And that's ultimately what they'll come up with is just, oh, well, do this too. What's the big deal, kid? It doesn't matter. Blah, blah, blah. Let's play the car stop again. Um, here's a car stop on Councilman Yusuf Salam. He's pulled over for traveling at a high rate of speed. He has very dark tints. Um, and it becomes what this officer did. The you know, at first I didn't think the officer was going to get in trouble. We actually did a Twitter space. Me, my, myself, Eric, and Sal Greco, and Sal's like, no, I think that this this cop's going to get in trouble. I think he's ultimately going to have a price to pay. And I'm I'm agreeing more and more with Sal each day that goes by because this councilman will not let it go. He's basically saying that this cop did something wrong. So I'm going to play the video. Guys, really, if you think that this cop did something wrong, please just tell us what it was, what you think he should have did. We're hearing a lot that it was, this was racial profiling. This was racial profiling. This was biased. Again, I'm almost 100% positive that the cop is black here. And I don't know how you could tell that the driver of this vehicle or any of the occupants of the vehicle, I don't know how you could tell what gender they are how many people are in the car or what their race is, because you can clearly not see a silhouette in this vehicle as he approaches. Here's the body camera video from the NYPD officer. Roll the back one for me too. You roll your back window, please. Yeah, I'm Officer Kentucky from the 26 Precinct. I'm Council saying, Member Salam. Oh, um, Council Member? This district, District 9. Oh, okay. Uh, Have a good one. Yeah. You're, you're working, right? Uh, yeah. All right. Take care, sir. First and, for, first and foremost, that was one of the most professional car stops I've ever seen on video. Those cops are extremely sharp and should be emulated. They're model police officers for the NYPD. This should not even be the topic of conversation. This goes back to leadership. We have weak leadership in the police department and especially from the New York City mayor. The New York City mayor should be standing on a soapbox right now, and he should be as vocal as he is when he's attacked on his own ego 
as he was with an elderly woman and when, and when he was walking in the street by the bull in, in Long Manhattan. He should be extremely vocal and he should be backing his cops. So, so what what's going on now with this car stop? I don't see anything wrong. I personally don't see anything wrong. He, the, the officer's not required to tell him why he was pulled over. The councilman didn't ask the, the officer why he was pulled over. Um, officer conducts an observation. And like Eric said, and I totally agree with him, the only thing the officer did wrong was do his job that day, was go out and do intrusive police work, do what New York City residents expect him. He sees a car traveling at a high rate of speed with numerous violations, out-of-state plates. So that's really what's going on over here. He pulls him over, and he's nothing but courteous and doesn't even press the councilman for one second and actually is quick to get out of there. And what we I heard uh, two days ago from New York City speaker – um, Adrian Adams is that the officer shine the flashlight in the face of the children. Now you can clearly see in that video that officer asked them to roll the window down. He shines the flashlight for about 0.04 seconds until as soon as he sees his children, he lowers the flashlight. But just based upon that allegation alone, that's an abuse of authority. He shined his flashlight in the face of children, right? The the council member who is who got pulled over who is the public the 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 public safety chair is in charge of the the committee on public safety in New York City council made an allegation that he was pulled over for no reason so again that's another abuse of authority he said it was based upon profiling so now the officer has a profiling allegation he says that the officer and then he says that the officer didn't explain the reasoning for the stop this courtesy Right. So he, this this is what this NYPD officer is now facing. These are there is an active investigation against this officer and it's not going away at all. Eric, I want to play one video of the councilman yesterday on New York one. I saw this this morning on Twitter when I opened my Twitter. Um, I'm going to go to my uh, I'm going to go to my Twitter account and pull this up. It is. All right, let me share it, and I'm going to go in and... Uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Hold on, here it goes, right? I, I actually echo what the mayor said. This was actually a beautiful moment, right? What I would have loved to be included in that moment was, oh, you're working, uh, Mr. Uh, Councilman, uh, we stopped you because your tents were too dark. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're going to give you a... a, a, a our discretion, we're gonna let you go, but can you get that fixed as soon as possible? Mm -hmm. Because then I would have been like, oh, shucks. I didn't know my tits, <laughs> my right, tits right. was too dark. No, is, is that true? You didn't? You I didn't know, know right? I, I actually. You wanna go first or you want me to talk? Yeah, what do you think about that? What do you think about that statement? I don't like that statement at all. And I'll tell you why. I think the cop, what the cop did was outstanding. I think that what the cop did, every cop should do. He emphasized, and everyone should emulate the actions of that officer. He was extremely sharp. He realized that his motorist was a council member who also was on the phone conducting official business. So not only did he have an audience of children in the back, but he had an audience of other council members. So he knew he was already in a vulnerable position. The smartest move of de-escalation he could do is get that car stop completed and disengage as soon as possible because he already knew that he was going to exercise 
discretion, which was the best move that he could make, right? It was either he exercised discretion or he writes a summons. So he made the decision immediately that he was going to exercise discretion. Now, I've said this on a podcast when we spoke about the councilman, but I'm going to say it again. I don't like his statement because I do believe that based on what I've seen so far, him speaking about it and his actions and his lies about this car stop, that if the police officer stayed there and explained the reason for the stop and said what he just said, that, hey, you should get that fixed, that would have been perceived as the as a power struggle and the cop trying to exercise his power over the council member. And I think this would have been a whole different story and far worse when it comes to abuse of authority. And make no mistake about it, this is going to be a civilian complaint investigation. Absolutely. He's been so vocal about it. He has to. He has to do a civilian complaint right now. And what do we know from the Civilian Complaint Review Board? And they said it during testimony at a public city hearing, right? Arvind Rice said it herself. It's not about what the police officer thought. It wasn't about his mindset or his actions. It's about what the civilian felt. So this whole thing is about what the council member felt. And he felt that he was stopped because he was black. And that's going to be the focus of this investigation. And I'll say it again. You cannot prove or disprove that allegation. Despite the fact that those windows were so dark, you could not even identify a silhouette. No, that's a great point. And I, I think the minute that it became news again, and the, and the only reason that this is news is because of this councilman. He put out he put out a media release statement alleging profiling, alleging, and he also said that the officer said that he asked the, that he asked the officer, why am I being pulled over? And the officer said, we're done here and walked away. And clearly that's not what happened. But what we're hearing in city council now is that, oh, the, the audio is inaudible. It's inaudible. We, you couldn't tell. He does ask him. He does ask him what it was. But the officers, and even if that's the truth, which I don't believe it to be, even if that is the truth that he asked him, the officers never said, we're done here. He said, have a good night, sir. How do you know that the officer heard what he said? You're standing in traffic. You hear, you're thinking, you're looking every direction. You're listening to everything. How do you know that that officer heard that? Because I don't think that he did, because I think the officer would have would have gladly answered that question. I think he was walking away. He had other things on his head, a million other things in New York City. For those of you that aren't New York City police officers or walk around the streets of New York City with your head up your butt, this is what it's like to be a New York City police officer. You're on a car stop. You're waiting. You're, you're making sure you're not getting hit by other cars. You're making sure you're not getting attacked from every angle. I mean, you are a target in New York City as a police officer. You can't even walk into a restaurant or, or a deli without looking into that restaurant because if something happens in there, you're the first one that's going to be dead. You need to know everything that's going on. All eyes are on you. You need to have all eyes on everybody. And that's what nobody takes into account. And I don't believe that the the, the thing is inaudible at all. I believe we heard exactly the, the, the statement of it. But that investigation sparked, that CCRB investigation sparked the minute this New York City councilman did that press release. This whole thing. And then what did we see? We see Eric Adams get up and kiss the councilman's ass, right? Because he's like, oh, please, please take me back. Please take me back. I need some political support because I have I have support because I have the lowest I have the lowest approval rating of any mayor in New York City history, including the commies, the communist Bill de Blasio. Well, you know what? The, the whole 
public media stunt by Yusuf Salam here is just a complete lie. But you know what is true? That this, this police officer did a fantastic job and emulates a good police officer. And everyone watching this has said, well, the cop should have said this. Didn't the cop hear that? Everyone that is saying that, unless you're a cop and you've actually performed a car stop, you suffer from the Dunning-Kruger effect. I think, John, you just laid it out perfectly. People don't understand. When you approach a vehicle, you're not just – your focus is not linear just on your motorist. The cop is looking at the car, the condition of that vehicle, where it's parked, where it's positioned, where he's positioned so he doesn't get hit by oncoming traffic. He has to make sure that the pedestrians are in a safe location. He has to make sure that his car – stop is in a safe location so that the motorist is also safe he has to worry about potential pedestrians approaching him while he's conducting a car stop he's also has to use all his keen senses he's talking to the motorist his eyes are on the car but he's also listening to the radio at the same time he has to make eye contact with his partner and listen to his partner so what people don't realize and with body cam that's why body cameras are good but there is a, there is a lot of faulties when it comes to body camera footage because everyone expects the police officer to see and ever ever see and hear everything that was captured on that video this police officer happens to be extremely sharp and heard the conversation but very well i wouldn't find fault with him if he didn't hear the conversation even though the body camera captured the conversation with him and other council members while he was doing professional business but if he did not capture that if he didn't hear it i wouldn't find fault because when you conduct a stop and you're doing police work, everyone hears and sees different things. That's why when we make arrests and there's a group of police officers, each one will have different testimony on the same case. And that's what people understand. This is a great clip that you put here. So Josh put up a clip here of Yusuf Salam here. And now his car is registered in New York State. This the appear to be tinted, but not the same tint that we saw in the video when he was stopped. So, John, why don't you go further into this since this is actually your page? Yeah, so this is uh, this is my Twitter. This is on Monday. I forget who shares this photo um, with me, but it's, it's now the council member's car, and he has New York registration, not Georgia plates anymore, because obviously that's a big deal. Uh, you have 30 days you're required to switch your – your uh, registration over to New York. Once you're a New York State, uh, uh, once you're a New York State resident, your vehicles are required to be switched over. And it's multiple factors, including a factor that they charge police officers with in the police department. Um, they call it insurance fraud. You're getting a cheaper rate in Georgia. You're, so you're required to have the the New York rate, whatever that is. It's much higher than other areas in the country, obviously. Park if anyone who's parked in New York City, your bumper's getting scratched, your windows are get your mirror's getting take off, but you're gonna get bike marks or some bike guy is gonna scratch across the side of your car. Um and they actually in the New York City Police Department, they actually go as far to you could live in the same zip code. You could live on 68th Street in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, and you move to 69th Street in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, but you don't update your address with the department within 30 days that you're required to do and they'll actually get you with you uh insurance fraud oh you're, you're you're defrauding insurance and they, they they call it something else and it's not actually really a criminal charge it's an administrative charge they call it like insurance jumping or something like that and they actually charge police officers and they they they, they actually get 
a lot of days taken for this, saying that they're trying to defraud the insurance company when they live in the same exact zip code. Um, they just didn't update their their records with the DMV at that point because there's so many records you need to update. Um, so he here you go. And I, I'm, I agree with you, Eric. I'm looking at this car. This does not appear to be the same tint. My friend actually got his window tinted one time, and I used to I always made fun of him. I was like, oh, you got your windows smoked. They look nice. You know, I, you could see, but clearly in this car, you could see right through the back of that car and you could actually see into the driver's side of that vehicle. You could see clear as day when you see when they pull that car over. And now I understand it's night, but I don't believe it would have been as dark. And actually, when you see the back window roll down, you could see how dark in the body camera video, how dark that layer of tint is. And that is not that same tint, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Obviously, this is just a stunt just to to counteract the police officer to say, hey, look at the tint on this car. You can see inside the car. But clearly, we know from a trained eye. And as I said, the, the tint before was so egregious. Even I just want to go even further it's, and say just on the naked eye, in my experience, even this tint is too dark. 70% light transmittal is completely clear. So even this tint, but... I've made the argument that if the car was tinted in this manner, that's not something that we should address because it's kind of on the cusp. It's very close. This is something that would require a tint meter because it's very close. It, there is some, there is some tint, but it's clear. But his car on that car stop on that day, on that night was so egregious. You did not need a tint meter, but I will go even further and say, so John and I spoke, spoke about this offline. In our experience, I can say this, even if you have a car that is completely clear, just completely transparent, 70% light transmittal, there's no tint on the windows. At night, depending on the location, the lighting of the street, the position of the vehicle, there are obstructions and there are times where just of the position of the vehicle or the location, you can't see inside the car and see the silhouette of the passengers even without tint. So just think how much more difficult it is with tint. And, and I, I just, I don't like this picture. I think it's just complete theatrics. I think he's mocking the whole system. You know, I, I, again, I, I think it's laughable. It's the fastest registration I've ever seen. He got his plates right away. But this tint is clearly not the same tint. I mean, if we had the ability to pull up the two pictures of the cars together side by side, I'm sure the windows would look completely different. Yeah, and then it was rumored that he was actually asking the NYPD that day, the same day that this picture comes out where he now has New York plates and what appears to be different tints. He's saying, have the NYPD come test my vehicle for the tints. Have them bring the tint on me that I want to know. And I just I just think it's it's such a, a dishonest conversation. And I, I, I again, I feel bad for these two officers because uh, clearly the leadership will not stand up for them um, at all. You know, um, Eric brought up a, another great point about what's going on in New York City as far as the, uh, the other bill, the solitary confinement bill. Um, and I think that's something that we really we should we should bring up, although we don't really speak much about corrections in, in on this podcast. I think that it's, it's necessary. I think it just correlates into public safety as a whole. Um, I do believe and, and so does Eric. We believe that. 100% when you're in jail, you should feel safe. When you work as a corrections officer, you should feel safe. And there are people in jail that are very, very bad people. I personally believe that jail 
is a microcosm of a city. And if you cannot keep drugs out of four walls, if you cannot keep prisoners from harming themselves or harming others, when they have limited rights at that point, if you cannot effectively do that, how in God's green earth do you believe that these same individuals can manage a city? How it's, 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 unbelievable to think i mean and we've seen so many deaths at rikers island this year in 2023 complete failure and the only thing that's been called for is well we need a new building it's the building it's like really i think it's the management i think if i give you a brand new building and we break it down i think it's the management that's gonna be um so there was a big push you're going to hear uh tiffany caban right now she's going to speak on unrelated to out of town ed caban um, she's unrelated to him. She's a, a New York City Councilwoman. She actually ran for Queens DA. She wanted to make prostitution legal. You're going to hear her speak about about uh, about this bill, a little bit about this bill, and how happy she is about it. So here we go. Where are you, my friend? Here you go. All right. Over a decade. Come on. Permission to explain my vote. Permission granted. Thank you. Thank you. Um, first off, I just want to shout out and give flowers to the Jails Action Coalition, who has worked for over a decade to get this work done. I want to honor all those who have suffered in solitary confinement in New York City jails or who live in fear that a low-level police stop may quickly escalate to extreme danger. These conditions are oppressive and inhumane, and they make all New Yorkers less safe. To all those who have fought to win these vital protections, I vote to override these vetoes in your honor. A todos aquellos que han luchado para obtener estas protecciones vitales, voto en su honor. Second, let me say that the mayor's disrespect for this council and our speaker is shameful. He vetoes our legislation, and then when we override his veto, he simply refuses to meet his obligation to implement the law. He pretends to negotiate budget restorations and then unilaterally imposes new cuts. He has proven that he cannot be trusted. This city deserves so much better. El alcalde ha demostrado que no se puedo confiar en él. Nuestra ciudad merecere mucho mejor. And lastly, I want to thank you, Madam Speaker, public advocate. You, Madam Speaker, public advocate. I, want uh, I don't know what's going on now, but, uh, but you get the gist of it. Absolutely. First of all, when it comes to Rikers, I just want to say that, you know, everyone talks about how difficult it is to be a New York City police officer, and it is. It's one of the toughest jobs, I think, in the world. But also, I would say the sister to that is definitely New York City Correction. So my hat's off to anyone that's a New York City Correction officer, rank and file. You have a you have a very difficult job. And I think, John, what you said is 100% right. It's a microcosm of a city. I think that if you look at at the way the correction officers jail and, and the environment that goes on in Rikers or any jail, there there it, it is a city of its own. But they have their own politics and they have their own system. The, the value of goods in jail is much different than the value of goods in, in, in the street. Things do change a lot. The correctional officers are, are there to maintain order. They're there. They have the same 
observation skills that police officer has the police officers have they have to monitor these guys and watch for behavior that's ind indicative of a potential fight or maybe someone's out there to harm themselves someone's suffering from some type of psychosis so correctional officers do very much mirror the job of a new york city police officer and that job is is extremely difficult and i think it's very taxing on the psyche because when you're a new york city correctional officer you're doing time just as much as the perpetrators are. You're isolated. You're in the dark. You don't know the, uh, the time of day. You don't have access to your phone. They are stuck in the jail just along with the perpetrators. So they're doing time also. And for these tools that have been stripped away from them to maintain order, just puts their safety more at risk. And these council members could completely have no understanding what it is that these correctional officers have to bear with and have to deal with. Yes. Are there times that people that have been in isolation and confinement that has probably attributed to their psyche yes but there's always a margin of error but i think ultimately just to completely strip this away is creating a, a major safety hazard for the correction officer correction officers themselves and also those that are being jailed but ultimately this trickles to what's happening on the street because the actions that they have in jail if they're if they're not going to be isolated and there's not going to be authoritative pressure on the on those that are being jailed when they get released they're not having that authoritative measure over them so they're not going to correct that behavior i, I see a major problem and a major flaw so I, a big part of the bill is so again they already removed solitary confinement in in new york city in 2016 so now this bill again goes further this bill says that if and, and i and, and before i even get into that tiffany caban made the statement that she supports and she stands with anyone that has, has ever suffered through solitary confinement all including people that have stabbed people in the throat for no reason stabs uh corrections officers have killed corrections officers have killed other prisoners this is who she stands with um well are there people that probably didn't deserve to be in solitary confinement maybe but there's also people that probably wanted to be in solitary confinement for their own safety as well and did things to get released out of general population. So what this bill does is it creates a de-escalation cell. So something crazy happens. Let's say, God forbid, somebody stabbed a prisoner or a corrections officer. They're allowed to put the person, the stabber in a de-escalation cell only for four hours in a 24 hour period and only for 12 hours in, in a week. In a, in a whole week. So you can only remove that person out for 12 hours for that week. And then they're back in general population. That is a danger, not only to the New York City corrections, but to every prisoner in there. Again, I don't believe that you, you, you're, so, you're serving time and you're paying your debts to society for whatever you did. I don't believe that you should be in danger from the other inmates. or And I don't believe that you should be and I don't believe that you should be un, un, unlawfully uh, tortured, as they like to say, or left in solitary confinement and abused and not given medical treatment or food or anything like that. But there are times when for your own safety, your safety of yourself and the safety of others, you should be removed from general population. And this bill strips that authority from corrections and basically like you said eric it's the same thing on the street there's no consequence for action 
first of all, I think that was extremely educational. I think that you explained the build very well. And what I gathered from that, what I, the problem I see with that, you could put someone in a de-escalation. I love how they use the word. They love the, it's amazing. Let me go back to that. The politicians love the word de-escalation. It's this amazing buzzword. It just cures everything. So let's put them in a de-escalation cell. So if I utilize all four hours, so I, I don't know if that's the uh, the algorithm. Or I don't. I don't. I wasn't a correction officer, so maybe I'll, I I know people that are correction officers, but I don't know if that's what it takes to cool someone down in, in that type of environment. I know. I, I mean, we we put people in cells, and I know it could take more than four hours to calm someone down. It could take all night. So this ideology that they came up with four hours is just I, I don't know where they came up with that number, but. The problem is if you use that four hours and if someone is just a habitual problem, or now you only you only have eight hours left for the entire week. So how do you utilize those hours? Okay, we'll, we'll use two hours now. And now the person being jailed, the inmate, is aware of that. So they might even say to themselves, well, you know what? They put me in the de-escalation cell three days in a row. They got four days left. Not, I can go crazy. They, what, they can't. They can't put me in a de-escalation cell. So someone else, maybe this person, this inmate is a is a threat to another inmate. So now we're going to have to throw that other inmate in this de-escalation cell for their own safety. But after we use up those 12 hours, what do we do with him? So that's a great point. How do we rehab and use punitive discipline on the inmate Who's the attacker? And how do we utilize this de-escalation cell to protect the inmate that is being threatened when the 12 hours are already utilized? I, I, I think this is completely flawed. Again, what I think this ultimately comes down to is I think they want Rikers just to completely implode. It will just completely solidify why they want to close Rikers and move on to what's the real mission. And that's by closing down and abolishing Rikers Island cell. Further emasculation. This is the emasculation of New York City corrections, right? You remove the authority. You now open New York City corrections up to lawsuits. You open the corrections offices up to discipline for not following this bill, for trying to provide safety to the other prisoners and themselves. Um, you open everyone up the same as they do for the NYPD, right? All the legislation they make, they emasculate, right? They take away all the authority. There's further language in that bill uh, and they start talking about handcuffing and not handcuffing for an extended period of time. I don't know that I'm reading it right, but the way I'm reading it is you can't keep handcuffs on people for an extended period of time. And the way I'm reading it is during transports, I'm just thinking in my head. I don't know that this to be accurate because the language in the bill, um, this is what I'm, I'm construing from it, um, that you cannot keep someone in handcuffs while you're transporting, while you're doing all of these things. I mean, I mean everyone's seen movies, right, with, with someone's driving the bus full of prisoners. I'm pretty sure if you're driving that bus or you're the guard in the back, you're going to want those people in handcuffs, especially when you're outnumbered 30 to 1. And they're constantly outnumbered. Um, and that's always going to be the case. So there's, there's further danger, very dangerous language in there. I won't get into the, the, the whole thing on it because I, I I'm not too well versed in corrections. We will have some corrections officers on here to, to speak about that. But uh, I just I just think it's the insanity. And it's, again, New York City Council showing Eric Adams 
we're the boss, you're on ice, you don't matter. And what are they going to do ultimately when people die as a result of this legislation? As a result of this particular legislation, people will die, whether it be a corrections officer or a prisoner. What will they do? They'll point the finger at Eric Adams and they're just showing him you're on ice, guy. You don't run the city. We do. It's funny you said you talk about the movies. It's so true. Right? They're in the back of the bus or, you know, what movie this reminds me of. The movie that came to my mind was Con Air. Remember that movie, Con Air, with Nicolas Cage? And they had the most violent perpetrators on this plane, and they were shackled by the hands. The hands were shackled to the feet, and they had some of the rapists. They were in some type of cell that was in the plane, and they were shackled inside the cell. And this is what it took to keep this plane to actually do a transport of these violent perpetrators. But now we're going to have potentially 30 inmates who are now being transported, who can't wait to see the light of day. They want to get out, not being handcuffed, with someone driving who's not paying attention, and one person in the back. This is absolutely ridiculous. Was this actually thought out? I mean, this is just completely insane. Think about it. Would you want to, Would you drive that bus? Listen, I'm not afraid. I'll fight anytime. I'm not a tough guy. But I'm not getting on a bus with 30 inmates, just me and you driving that bus. That's insane. Absolutely not. That's a death wish. No, I don't want nothing to do with it. And it's the same thing with, with a New York City Police Department. You're putting me in a fight and you're giving me all these rules that I have to abide by. And the person I'm fighting doesn't have to abide by any of those rules. And nothing happens to them when they don't. I mean, you're at a, a clear, huge disadvantage. And uh, it's just, it's it's again, it's just an emasculation. This is all just in an effort. I heard Vicky Palladino in New York City Council. I heard her say this is a further defunding of the police through uh, through like an administrative burden of paperwork, like like literally overburdening the police department. But I don't believe it is. I don't believe like when you look at the defund the police movement, you know, and you look at everything as a whole, this is a step towards abolishing the police department as we know it. And and I got news for you. It's not stopping here. Forget the how many stops bill. They they got 15, 16 bills coming down the pipeline, you know, and, and they're and they're just it's gonna be further and further and further. And Eric Adams isn't the guy, and this leadership team, the nightmare team, they're not it either. The Supreme Team rejects are not the guys that are gonna stop this and gonna keep people safe and gonna properly advocate to the public what it is. They don't have the understanding of it and they don't have the spine. They're too aligned to Eric Adams and they're too aligned to their friends and making money and public safety is really not public safety is really not not the, the key right now. The key is the image of the police department, the image of New York City mayor. It has nothing to do with anything else. I mean, this should really tell the public, the residents of New York City, what the New York City Council actually thinks about them what their views of the police department are, and ultimately what they actually think about public safety. I mean, 42 out of 51 New York City Council members voted for this How Many Stops Act. And, you know, we could we could draw straws here and talk about whether it's actually going to bog the police down with paperwork or not, how effective it will be, how much it will slow down. But ultimately, we both agree, we all agree, that this is further abolishment of the police. And what is further abolishment of police controls public safety? So... The overwhelming majority of this New York City Council, their mission is to strip away the police department, ultimately abolish it, and 
zero regard and zero concern for public safety. They have no regard and they do not care what happens to the residents of New York City. They're showing it on this bill, how it strips away from the police department. And this this bill that strips away from the New York City correctional officers and just creates lawlessness amongst the inmates. This is just all going to implode. And I think ultimately it's about abolishing the police department. And I think it's about having Rikers condemned and turn it over to some luxury condos or whatever else their, their ideology is. But ultimately to have Rikers closed out. But none of this is about transparency and public safety. Absolutely not. No, not at all. And, you know, and the people that are voting against the mayor, he supports. He'll never take a stand against them. You know, so like that's the funnier part of it. You had uh, Justin Brannon, my good friend, um, coming out saying that the mayor was spreading misinformation, you know, uh, MAGA, whatever, spreading misinformation and and all this stuff. And, and remember, who endorsed who endorsed Justin Brannon, who defunded the police, who voted to defund the police in 2020, who walked Antifa into a Blue Lives Matter rally where it was parents of dead officers. Who, who was that? That was Justin Brennan. That's who New York City Mayor Eric Adams supported. He endorsed him for city council, and he went right against the mayor to far-left anti-police progressive, which he clearly is. And ultimately, who do we have to blame? The New York City residents, right? Because they're either too apathetic where they don't vote, or they don't know enough, and they just vote based upon name recognition. And I think more, more is that they don't vote. I think more of the people that I know in New York, in all of the state, actually, when I speak to them about political issues, they're kind of very moderate, conservative-leaning people. Maybe they're a little left, maybe like a little left, but slightly. But I think overall, the overwhelming majority of people in New York support the police. They support common sense things. But when it comes time to go to the polls, they don't vote. And Republicans are doing an absolutely terrible job of advocating. I mean, if I, we want to make fun of the New York City Police Department and their PR campaign, I mean, if you look at the GOP in New York and New York City, I mean, they're just, it's, it's, it's disgraceful. It, it really is. It's absolutely disgraceful. I mean, we want to talk about incompetence of people leading New York City, New York State. I mean, there it is. And their opposition, there is none. What do we see with the opposition? They run to defend Eric Adams. They hang on his words and they ignore his actions. It's pathetic and basically expect a lot more of this. This is not, you know, everybody's jumping up and down about this how many stops bill. Believe me, there's much less worse legislation coming down the pipeline and you're going to see it and it's going to come hot and heavy this year. Well, I agree. And the other burden is for the police officers, and, and, and I think ultimately that's what's going to be affected, as always. The police officers are going to be affected by this How Many Stops Act, because if they have an interaction, and I'm sure many of the cops are saying right now, I'm not going to talk to anybody. And that's great to wish, you, that's, great to wish that's going to happen, but we know the reality is once you get comfortable, once this bill gets passed, you get comfortable, because we all do. We get comfortable as these new bills come. No one thought, including me, I, I thought once we got the body cameras, like, how am I going to do this job? Somehow we adapt and we overcome it. They're going to adapt and they're going to overcome this. It's going to become normal and they're not going to document it properly because we always have administrative oversight. And who's going to come knocking on their door? Civilian Complaint Review Board. 
is going to hit these cops with abuse of authority. They're going to get substantiated cases based on level one encounters, not documenting it properly. And what is that ultimately going to lead to? Substantiated cases from the CCRB lead to civil liability. And that's why I, I feel sorry for these cops. And I think that's where they're going to suffer. And that's what John Shell didn't mention when he talks about nuances and that sweet spot. That sweet spot means getting the paperwork done so John Shell can move on and get further in his career. But the police officers pay the ultimate price. Absolutely. And he is one of the he is one of the men that assaulted the uh, that assaulted the lieutenant and the cop. Here he is coming out out after he's freed without bail. And this is what he's doing. He's giving everybody the finger. I'll be out there tonight. I'm coming back for you. And then uh, this is a post from Miranda Devine. Miranda's a reporter in New York City. Uh, she works in many major media publications. And she asked, would anyone in America have a problem with he, him being deported, this individual, after these actions? And yes, there's a lot of people that would have a problem with it. Namely, Eric Adams, the number one. He would have the biggest problem with this gentleman being deported because he has full authority to get a nice detainer put on this person and to remove exactly what Bill de Blasio put in there. And he's not. He's not. So that's who has a problem with it, Miranda. New York City Mayor Eric Adams, along with the progressive socialist that he aligns himself with, endorses and supports and kisses their ass. That's exactly who it is. And you know who else would have a problem with it? Ask our good friends in the New York City Police Department. Ask John Shell, should this person be deported? Ask him how he feels about open borders. Ask Ed Caban. Ask Kaz Daughtry. Ask Tanya Cancilla. And they're going to lie right to your face and say exactly what the mayor did. That's who support. That's who support. That's who doesn't support that person being deported. All of the liars that align themselves with the progressive left. Well, we know it. it's completely obvious, right? Because this so-called dream team, they watch the video. <laughs> Listen, I love that shirt, by the way. The body camera was the body camera footage for the car stop at the council council member was released. And it told a great story because it was complete opposition from his lie, Yusuf Salam. But what we didn't hear, we heard Ed Caban at his speech talk about the dream team and how great they are. But what we didn't hear is we have the support for the cops right now. If you lie, if you're a city council member, you lie about our police officers, we will be there to stand with them and support them. And we will not stand with you. We will show you opposition. The police officers will have support. They will have the back of the police commissioner. That's not what we're hearing. That's what I want to hear. Maybe, maybe we could talk about potential dream team, but right now, that's all it is, is a dream. It's a just a complete slap in the face to all New Yorkers, all NYPD members that you actually call yourselves the dream team. It's a complete joke that you actually think that you guys are some type of phenom and that you can actually separate yourself from other administrations amongst the NYPD. Were other administrations flawed? Absolutely. But what makes this administration better than the others? If anything, it's far worse. I don't see any any better. I, I just think it's far worse. And they, they have zero PR skills. And you're right. Instead of using this podcast as a friend, they found us as a phone. We would be a great outlet for recruitment. I mean, we, could, we would have an opportunity to talk to potential candidates to become police officers. But no, they're not... They're not uh, they don't see us as friends. They see us as foes because what we say is the truth. And that's and, and, and unfortunately, they know the truth and they can't speak the truth right now. So it, it hurts their own egos. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's a, it's a shame. It really is. It's a shame. Um, what else did I want to talk about? There's a so there's a consensus among the NYPD, and I've seen this numerous times. And I'm not sure where I where I stand on it, but I think it's the question that needs to be asked. Kaz Daughtry clearly, clearly is obsessed with the post that we put out, both on the podcast and as individual. He literally uses the same music that I put out. He uses the same exact posts. Um, the police commissioner uses the same memes. Um, they send their their buddies, you know, they send their buddies to threaten us. Um, we have numerous active members coming at us, attacking us as through their own name and others through fake monikers who have now all stopped, by the way, since miraculously, since we filed that complaint that was supposed to be top secret. Um, but the minute that we filed it and got the log number, everything stopped, literally everything. So I thought besides the immature posts that literally following everything we do. But so Kaz Daughtry comes on Instagram and he comes on Twitter. Um, I believe he has about 6,000 followers now. And I believe he should probably have a little more depending about on his. Uh, he probably have a lot more actually uh, being being tied to the New York City Police Department. However, like in his first couple of days, he only had about 200 followers on Instagram. And then the next day it jumped after he really had no posts where anyone liked any of his stuff. His post jumped. Not his post, I'm sorry. His followers jumped from 200 to 7,000 to now 22,000. It's the contention of a lot of people on Instagram that he bought followers <laughs> in order to make himself look relevant. Now, I'm not 100% positive, but it wouldn't shock me at all. So if anybody knows if you could tell if somebody bought followers, let me know because I'll, I'll definitely do the back work on that one. What do you think about that, Eric? Who paid for that? First of all, I I, I can't believe we're even talking about this. This, this is insane. Remember I said, I, I talked about this months ago, maybe even a year ago. Remember I said that this job has come down to commanding officers are competing with each other, but who has a better Twitter page? And that just solidifies everything I've been saying because they actually have to compete. And, and he has to actually show the public that he has a good Twitter page, that he has good followers. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. It shouldn't even matter. It shouldn't even it's just do your job. I mean, but it's more important. If, uh, uh, think about how much time is getting retracted and withdrawn from doing actual police work, from dressing anarchists, BLM, all these protests. But he has to spend all this time in making sure that he has a sexy Twitter page. This is absolutely ridiculous. I can't believe this is this this is this is where we've gotten to when it comes to policing. I mean, this is insane. It really is. These commanding officers. Towards the end of my career, I watched them compete with each other over who has a better Twitter page. It was just insane. Who's liking their post and what kind of post they're putting out. I mean, taking pictures in the command constantly, every little thing to, to put out there on Twitter. I mean, spending more time for social media clicks than actually doing police work. Insane. No, it's 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 wild, man. And that's why like I don't I don't like even I don't dismiss that. Like when people were sending me, look, this was yesterday, this was today, and I got it a lot of times from a lot of different people. I was like, yeah, I could see it. I could see it. I mean, look, you know, it's obviously like a competition with social media between this podcast and like we're not in competition with you, by the way. And if you think that you're competing with us, I mean, you're looking like fools. 
like legitimately look like fools and you have a huge team, you have millions of dollars behind you, unlimited resources. And me and Eric are too much. We don't even know what the hell we're doing half the time. And you can see what the hell we're doing. <laughs> I mean, uh, Alamo's uh, smart and he is, makes like, funny memes, but I mean, you know. First of all, that is so true. I have no problem. I put out a post yesterday <laughs> on Instagram Reel and it was I, I totally screwed the whole thing up. And John Cole was like, dude, I can't even read your post. Like, what the hell is going on? I'm like, I'm like, what do you mean? I can read it. He's like, yeah, I, I can't even. I didn't even know to go to the second page. Honestly, I am a complete dinosaur when it comes to Instagram. I didn't use social media at all through the job. I'm in the learning stages. So they shouldn't even compete with us. I mean, John, you're far more advanced when it comes to social media than I am. But they I shouldn't even <laughs> But they shouldn't even compete with us. They have a they have a team of people that are that are out there doing this. You should be laughing at me, honestly. You know, I think I put out some good content, the information, but my actual posts they suck. I'm getting better, but they really suck. I don't know what I'm doing, honestly. I, I, I'm like John, really? I didn't. I'm like, what's the difference between a reel and a post? I didn't even know the difference. I didn't ask you. I have no problem saying that, but yeah, I mean, you should have more followers, and I, I don't care. I, I think they should have a million more followers than me and you. And I think that their post should be a thousand times better. I just I just don't think it should be trying to one-up this podcast because you're not gonna do it. You look stupid. It's funny stuff. Like people are gonna laugh at it. It looks it looks weak, it looks pathetic. Um, you know, I think uh, another thing that people are bringing to light is John Shell is really the acting chief of department. We had a rare sighting of the police commissioner this this uh, yesterday at the at the all in a very rare sighting, and so we've had that. But what, what do you think about that? Do you think John Shell is the acting chief of department as we speak? I think John Shell is a utility man right now. I think he's everything. I think he's acting chief of department. I think depending on the scenario, he's acting police commissioner. Depending on the scenario, I think he's he's uh he's the confidant for Kaz Daughtry. I think he's everything right now. I think he's completely being used. And he, and he knows it. And he's allowing it. I mean, you the clip that we just put out, what was the first thing he said? He he, he praised the mayor. And we know before Eric Adams was New York City mayor, there's no way John Shell is doing that. He was probably bashing him upside down. And, and now, master, I, I love you. I love you. You're the best thing, you know. Uh, it's sad. You know what? I, I, and it's funny. We put information about John Shell on, on Twitter and talking about his speech here. I was talking about nuances in the sweet spot. And there was a lot of people who jumped on, a lot of retired guys. They said they worked with him when he was young. And a lot of them said he was a good guy. I can't believe what has happened to him. So, John Shell, if you're watching this, you know, honestly, deep down, I, I see that there's a good guy out there that wants to do police work. And I don't care that you hate us. I'll still say it. I don't want. I think deep down there's a guy there that wants to do police work. And you know the truth. Uh, but unfortunately, you've been sidetracked. You're, you're blindsided. And you're still self-serve and think about your own career. And you're Right now, maybe it makes you feel good because you're like the point man. Kaz Daughtry needs you. Ch Jeffrey Madry needs you. Edgar Bear needs you because you're the guy that's really leading the charge, but you're not getting the credit for it. But yet you're still doing it. So one day when they put you out in your ass, they're going to forget all about you. When Kaz Daughtry becomes the PC and Tiny Kinsella is still the first step, they're going to forget all about you. They're not going to say, hey, hey, by the way, John Shell, thank you so much for leading the way. No, they're just going to step right over you because they're doing it right now. Do you know that Kaz Daughtry made more money than John Shell in 2023? Yeah, you and I were talking about that. I think uh, I think you had said the number was astronomical. The amount of overtime that you said was pretty much – we haven't done the math yet, but it's almost impossible to actually make that kind of money. 
So for 2023, and I believe this goes by fiscal year, right? So it's a little off from the year. I believe so. Don't quote me on that. I don't know. But I'm looking at see-through New York. And you have Kaz Daughtry, who has a rate of pay, 135-511, right? Which is a top pay lieutenant, right? First grade detective. I'm writing down. Yeah. Top pay lieutenant. But his total pay for the year was 260000 Zero twenty-three dollars, and that's according to see through New York. It's a lot of money in overtime, right there. That is, he actually he doubled his salary. He almost completely doubled his salary. It's about what you said. One thirty-five, five eleven was the was his his salary. He received two sixty. That's almost doubling his salary. Uh, I don't know how you actually do that. That's pretty much impossible. Now that you said, you said this is half the year, so we don't even know. I mean, I I don't I, I don't know if this is going on the fiscal year. I don't, I don't know if this is the fiscal year or if this is really the the entire year of 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 twenty three. I mean, if it, if it's the entire year of twenty three, that leads a lot of questions because then it's only half the year. Um, if it's fiscal year, it would make more sense to me that like then, you know, because I wonder does the fiscal year end at the end of June, I think. Then that would make it sense. Is, it would right, make July more first, sense July to me that it was a whole year period where he right. did that prior to him becoming an assistant commissioner. But I'm curious what 2024 will show, what the fiscal year for that will show. Um, I'm curious about that. Uh, what that's going to show if he, there's still going to be overtime on there. But, I mean, I still think that's a phenomenal amount of money in overtime. I mean, it's like, what is $125,000 in overtime, $124,000, something like that in overtime. Um, As I said, he almost, he almost doubled his salary. How many how many weeks are in a year? 52? What is it? 52 weeks in a year. 26 paychecks. 26 paychecks. 26 paychecks, yeah. So 124, 124, 124,000 divided by how many? How many paychecks? 26. 26. $4,769 in overtime each check. So every check at 4,000 in overtime. About. Um, so let's assume, let's assume. It's a, a a pay rate about a hundred dollars an hour, right? Yeah, so a hundred dollars an hour. So, so based on that, about forty eight hours a week of overtime. Yeah, I was gonna say forty eight to fifty exactly. Wow, forty eight hours of overtime every week. That's a lot. That's a lot of overtime. Right. Even if you even if you came if you even if you came to work on your days off, right? We have five five working days with two days off. You came in for twelve hours each day. That would be twenty four hours. That's still half of what of of what he had. That's he would have to make up another twenty four to thirty hours. That's a lot. That that you're basically living at work forty eight hours a week of overtime. 192 hours a month of overtime for 12 yep. months. That's, yep. Uh, 
that's wild. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know what to say about that. I mean, if it's half the year, that's it's impossible. If it's half the year, now double that. Then, then it's 400 hours a month and it's, it's, you know, and it's, it's, it's 80 something hours a week. If it's half the year, I think it's the fiscal year. So I, I think it is the whole year. I'm not a hundred percent positive. If anybody knows, if anybody wants to correct us, feel free um, to what we do. I failed math every year in high school. I won't lie. I was never too good at it. I think Eric was pretty good at it. Um, so, I mean, I could be wrong, but it's either way. It's, it's phenomenal. Um, if, but if it's half the year, it's impossible. Um, but I've seen, listen, I've seen guys in their last year, of their career just go to the point of burnout because they know it's their last year. But I don't, and even then, they didn't do this many hours. So he, here's someone that is potentially going to be the PC pretty soon who needs to have wind under their breath and have energy. I don't see how I don't see how he could do this. It doesn't seem possible to me, unless unless there's other uh, underlying factors. I just don't think it could be done. Yeah, you would never, have to, and, and those are the numbers if you never took a day off. Never take Those a day off. If you never took a day off. If you never took vacation. Now, if you took how would vacation, you even? You know, how do you do it? How, how would you even go home? How would you go home? Just the, yeah. what was the what's the what's the 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 day? So we're talking about the, the detective pay rate, right? Eight hours a day. Yeah. So overtime a day. So let's say so you worked sixteen hours a day, not not including your commute every day. So he lives in Staten Island. Um, oh, I, I don't want to put out where he lives, but whatever. He, he wherever he lives, he lives. I know that commute. It's about it's about an hour and forty five minutes. You know, rush hour or not rush hour. If you do it super early in the morning or super late, looking at maybe like an hour forty five minutes. Not far mile wise, but it's you know. Well, let's assume, right? They said the average the average New York is the average commute for New York City. I think is about an, an hour each way. So. 16 hours at work and two hours, that's 18 hours. Now, by the time you actually get a chance to take a shower, you know, get something to eat, that gives him far less than six hours turnaround. It's, 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 it's just not impossible to keep up that, that pace. It's, it's not. Yourself into the ground? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know. Um, so he was basically number one on the list the whole year, the entire year. Uh, what did John Shell make? He didn't have to. Well, I think I think Shell made like one fifty eight. I think someone sent it to me. So everybody's been sending us a ton of stuff, you know. And and that's what's laughable in me is like no one really sends us things that aren't public information. They send us articles that they want our opinion on, or they send us things that are public information, you know. Um, but I don't know. I guess you know. I guess conversation thought is a threat. I think, uh, and that's why we're so heavily attacked on this podcast. But I think it, you know, I, everything that we've been saying is pretty much gets validated. Here's just another hypocrisy that we brought up. I didn't plan on talking about any of that, but I'm glad we did. I'm glad that came out. Um, so, I mean, I just another hypocrisy, you know. So, I, I, you know, I really don't got much more. We're going on two hours. This was a longer one. Um, what do you think, Eric? You got anything before we close? No, I'm glad we brought that up, though, because it just leaves a lot of questions. We're sitting here just doing basic math. We haven't had an opportunity to really write this down. But just just of my knowledge, because I did a lot of overtime, and I had a lot of energy, I don't see how you could do this. Unless you're cutting corners other ways. But to actually be at work, to be attentive for all these hours, 
I, I think it's virtually impossible to keep up with it. <laughs> Unless you remember the dream, the dream team, bro. You are not part of it, so you don't know. But but not only that, how would you how would you pull off all this overtime and attend all those parties? How would you have time to go to all these galas and these parties and get all these awards when you're busy at work? You did them on overtime. Oh, uh, I see. I understand. You have to do them. You're, you're getting paid. While everyone else is taking off and doing it on their own time, you're getting paid to do that. You're getting paid to shower. You're getting paid to use the bathroom. You're getting paid to sleep. That's how you do it. Must be nice to be part of the dream team. Must be nice. Well, unfortunately, you and I, when we were on the job, we had nothing to contribute, nothing to offer. So, Yeah, nothing. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. No. And, and nobody else does either. Like, they're the best. You know, no one else. Now, the guys and girls that are out there at details two, three days in a row who actually work back-to-back 16-hour days on no sleep, who look like zombies, um, they have nothing to offer either because they're in the same boat as us, right? They're not part of the elite dream team. They're not part of the New York City party department. They're just, eh, you know, it's an easy job. It's an easy job, you know? Like what Chris Ball say, being a New York City police officer is an easy job, but you might get shot, but it's the easiest gig. It's an easy gig. Yeah. Like like, like that guy could handle one day in New York City streets. Good luck. Where did he get that from, dude? Like, you know, he works in the mayor's office. He's on the mayor's top team. He got that from Eric Adams. And I guarantee oh, I agree. if you he talk to some of these people, they'll tell you the same thing. It's an easy job. But you never did what, what these guys did. You never really well, did a detail. You might have been at the detail, but you never really worked that detail. You might have been there, but you went to eat. You went here. You went sat in the THV. You went there. You did that. You never did what they did. And don't tell me you did because you didn't. I did it. You did it. Oh, yeah. It, listen, it, I, I'm glad that you said it. It's so true. I, it, it is. For many, it could be an easy job. You know, you could wear the uniform of a police officer. I knew quite a few people. I knew quite a few people who were taken care of in the police department who've never even seen the street. And they go from precinct to precinct. They're followed around by different commanding officers and different chiefs. And, they, you know, they, they're, they're high-paid secretaries in the police department. So for them, it's an easy job. This, you know, but listen. Even though we get attacked by them, but these guys that are out there in the tan pants, it's not an easy job for them. They're out there. They're doing real police work. Their hearts are in the right place. It's unfortunate, but their eyes aren't. Their eyes and their minds are not in the right place. They're not seeing and they're not thinking the way they should. Their hearts are in the right place. They want to do the job. They're out there. They're chasing cars down. Are their hearts in the right place by doing it? Absolutely. They want to get the bad guys. But are they seeing the big picture and are they thinking the right way? No. So, uh, you know, with that being said, I think, like you said, it's two hours into it. I think I want to thank the viewers for watching this. I do want to leave this one thing. For anyone that's been following us, I just want to know if you can leave your thoughts and comments on our YouTube page. What are your thoughts on this, this active cop hiding behind a fake moniker called All Cops Are Woke? making threats, knowing that there's other police officers that know his or her identity and they refuse to provide that information. What are your thoughts on that? How do you feel about cops knowing that there's a cop out there that's unhinged with a badge and a gun? Do you think that they should release that information or do you think that's something they should keep under your hat? And uh, I'm open to uh, 
any discussion. Me personally, I think that that name would be exposed if I was on the job because that's not someone I want to work with, and I don't think that's someone that should have a gun. I'm with you 100, man. I, I and I got news for you. Even if it was a criminal or a anti-police agency or these socialists, and I found out that a cop was sending threats about their children the same way that they did to us. I have no problem knocking on that guy's door and locking him up and taking his badge and his gun, because that is not something that a New York city police officer should do. And I'll tell you, after we filed the complaint, I got a ton of calls. It's not a cop. And I know you did too, Eric. It's not a cop. It's not a cop. I'm telling you, it's not a cop. And really makes me question those people. Like, do you know, you, you know who it is, don't you? Well, why would nobody, nobody ever not thought all cops was a woke was an NYPD cop until he threatened our kids. And then once he did that, then he wasn't a cop. Um, so I think a lot of people know it. And I think he is tied to the upper echelon. You know, I do. I, and, and whether he is or he isn't at the end of the day, he's a byproduct of this upper echelon. And he was coming at us as the upper echelon came at us. He was following suit with them. So there, there needs to be answering in the New York City Police Department for that because it's, it's absolutely disgusting. Absolutely, utterly disgusting. I like the way that you just put that. I, th I think you're 100% right. That uh, we do believe there's a connection to the upper echelon. But if there isn't, like you said, if there's not a direct connection, they did grow and ferment out of this administration and, and just ran without impunity. I, I agree with you. I mean, you and I had made numerous allegation after allegation on social media. We were pretty transparent and open and public about the interactions we were having on social media with active members on duty and those hiding behind fake monikers and no time were we ever contacted by the internal affairs bureau or anyone in this administration the police commission never came out and said hey you know what we apologize for what's going on where we're going to uh get a good representation of this badge and uh we're retired where we apologize to our retired members but that would be too much character for this administration for the dream team too much character for them absolutely not so uh with that being said why don't we turn to our friends from labor blue you're out there right now. You're close to retirement. You really should look at your options and see what's available to you. Check out our friends at Lay Low Blue. Get interested in your finances. It's so important. Take a look. Don't just depend on what's in your pension right now. We don't know if our pensions will be there forever. Sketch your own portfolio and get it today. Give a call. These are great guys. John sat down. He had dinner with them. Said they're awesome. Uh, I hope to meet them soon. But they're great guys. And uh, give a call. Can't hurt. Just pick up the phone. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, even a nightmare is a dream. Law enforcement professionals dedicate their lives to serving and protecting our community. But who's protecting their financial futures? That's where Laidlaw Blue comes in. Our wealth management platform is specifically designed for the law enforcement community. Laidlaw Blue is a division within Laidlaw Wealth Management run by retired New York City detective John McDermott. His status as a retired detective uniquely positions him to establish a deep connection between Laidlaw Blue and the law enforcement community. Our platform is easy to use and provides a range of financial services, including investment management, retirement planning and insurance solutions. With Laidlaw Blue, you can secure your financial future and provide for your loved ones. Our team of experienced financial advisors understands the unique challenges and opportunities 
that law enforcement professionals face. We're here to help you navigate the complexities of financial planning and achieve your goals. Laidlaw Blue. Secure your financial future today. Book a meeting using the QR code displayed or call us directly on 888-901-BLUE. That's 888-901-BLUE.